Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. We started a Wednesday evening series last week titled How to Study the Bible because that's a question that I've been asked many times through the years and so I think it's very important because we can't live the life God is calling us to live and we can't know God if we don't understand his word. And so I think this is a very uh, relevant and critical series for every believer. Today's message is titled Study to Show Yourself Approved. Let me open with a question. Have you ever been misunderstood? You know, where your words were misinterpreted or you were taken to, to mean something that you did not intend. And this happens all the time. It happens at work. It happens at home. It happens in church. It happens wherever we have relationships and need to communicate. And even more so now with electronic communication, because all you have are the words with no facial expression or emotional context. And so often... You know, words can really be taken out of context to mean something because, you know, a lot of our communication is nonverbal, right? It's the way our face is, it's the gestures we use. And so with that nonverbal communication lacking, it's very easy uh, to misunderstand uh, what someone is saying. I read the story of a woman who was trying to get ketchup out of a ketchup jar. And uh, she was hitting the jar, you know how you do, she was hitting the jar uh, and the ketchup was ever so slowly running down the sides and during her struggle to get the ketchup out of the jar, the phone started ringing. And so she asked her four-year-old daughter, Amanda, Amanda, run, honey, and go answer the phone. And so, you know, kids often view the world differently than we do. And they express themselves differently, sometimes very literally. And so little four-year-old Amanda answered the phone and said, Hello, this is Amanda. Mommy can't come to the phone right now. She's hitting the bottle. (laughs) The little girl words, if they are taken out of context, could easily be misunderstood that her mother was, you know, drinking alcohol. But... Uh, If we don't know how to properly interpret the word of God and in its context, it can often lead us to misunderstand what God is saying to us. One of my Bible college professors used to say that you can make the Bible mean anything you want it to say if you take it out of context. For instance, he said, at the Last Supper, Judas left to betray Jesus. And John 13, 27, Jesus said, what you are going to do, do it quickly. And then in Matthew 27, verse 5, it says, Judas went out and hung himself. So the professor said, if you take these two verses out of context, you can say that Jesus was encouraging Judas to go out and commit suicide quickly. And we know that that's furthest from the truth of what Jesus was saying. Judas was going to betray Jesus. And that's what he said when he said, what you do, go and do quickly. So we know that the Bible teaches us that um, suicide is wrong because taking any life intentionally is a form of murder, even if it's your own life, and that's a sin. But, but this illustrates how easy it is to take Scripture out of its context and make it say something that God didn't intend for it to say. And that, of course, leads to false teachings and that's why it's so important to study the word of God carefully you'll often hear people discussing the Bible and say well that's just your interpretation have you ever heard somebody say that and generally generally 
That's the response of someone whose heart is not receptive. Their heart has not yet been prepared by the Holy Spirit or they have resisted the working of the Holy Spirit. And so they are not understanding spiritual truth that you are sharing with them and, and they are resisting the work of the Spirit. But, but this presents a question. Is there a way to know what the Bible is really saying and that it's not just someone's interpretation? And the answer is a resounding yes. You can know. Paul gives us the answer in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or interpreting the word of truth. Now, whether we realize it or not, every time we read the Bible and try to understand its meaning and its application for our lives, we are interpreting the Bible whether rightly or wrongly, but we are interpreting the Bible. Of course, I believe that if you're listening tonight that you have a genuine desire to rightly interpret and understand God's word. Paul says we need to study God's word to make sure that we are correctly interpreting it. Because of course, what we believe determines how we live. And if our beliefs are wrong, then our life will be wrong, and we can lead others astray as well. So tonight, we want to look at some basic principles for rightly interpreting the Bible. First of all, we need to understand that the Bible has one interpretation and many applications. One interpretation and many applications. So we need to seek to understand the original meaning of Scripture. The Bible only has one intended meaning, though there are many applications. The scripture was not written to mean different things to different people. I know that that's a postmodern concept in our society today that says the meaning of the Bible is what it means to you. But no, the meaning of the Bible is what it means coming out of God's mouth, what he intended it to mean. That means that there is one meaning, one interpretation of scripture. So the focus must always be what God means by it and not what it means to me. Now, it's obvious that certain verses apply to everyone, everywhere, in every age, right? Like, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's easy to see how that applies to every person during every generation anywhere that they live, right? That's easy to interpret. Other passages were meant for only people of that day, but they have an application for us today. So, for example, the Levitical laws. I know that Leviticus is one of your favorite books in the Bible. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, there, there's a lot of laws in there about, you know, what you can dress, what you can wear and, you know, what you should eat and what have. So a lot of dietary restrictions. So does that apply to us today? And if so, how? Those dietary restrictions, though they are not binding upon us today, they were given for a twofold purpose that still does apply to us today. And the twofold purpose was this, holiness and health. Holiness and health. Holiness in that the children of Israel were called to be a separate people. And so if the Israelites could not eat the food 
of the surrounding nations or cultures, it would keep them separate. It would keep them from forming close relationships. Because guess what? Most of our relationships are formed around food, right? And if you can't sit at the table with someone and eat with them, that cuts out a big segment of what binds us together, right? I mean, just think in church. All of our fellowships center around food, you know, it, it, it's really central. But if they couldn't eat the foods that the nations around them ate, then they couldn't sit at the table in fellowship with them. So for instance, a lot of the nations surrounding them, Arab nations. And Arab nations, they, Arab people, they eat a lot of things that are made with milk, like something called laban, which is a form of yogurt. And they eat it with meat. Sometimes they cook the meat in the yogurt. So one of God's restrictions was that they were not supposed to have meat and milk at the same meal. Okay, well, if that's so, then I can't sit down at a table with these Arab nations that surround, these Arab people that surround. Are, are you following me? So the intention was holiness. So even though we are not bound by those dietary restrictions for holiness today, we are still bound by the fact that God wants us to be separate from the ungodly influences of those around us, and he does not want us to form close associations with them. That's why the Bible says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers, because what fellowship does light have with darkness? So the timeless principle, the specific application is don't eat certain things. The timeless principle is God wants us to be holy. That applies to us at all generations everywhere, right? A second purpose of these dietary restrictions was for health. Because most of the animals that were listed as unclean were animals that were carnivores and scavengers, which can carry all sorts of diseases and parasites, which can be dangerous to us today. I saw, I don't mean to gross anybody out if you haven't eaten tonight, but I saw the grossest little video on um, Instagram. And it was somebody that bought a whole brand name chicken. The packaging was there and everything. And when he cut it open to prepare it, there was a huge cancerous tumor in the breasts of the chicken. Guess what? You can eat that, and you're ingesting all of that. You know, so um, a, a, a lot of animal products carry disease, and a lot of uh, plagues through history have been transferred disease from animals, like the Black Plague, transferred from animals to humans. The um, terrible flu epidemic in, two th in, in um, 1918 that lasted for two years that killed uh, hundreds of thousands of people transferred from animals to people. Even, um, for instance, the COVID virus. I know that recently they've said it was released from a, a lab and everything like that, but the original COVID virus, they believe, originated in bats because 96% of the genetic material of the COVID uh, virus matches with that of bats. So they believe it originated with bats and was somehow being uh, worked on, modified in a uh, lab in China and was released from that lab in China. So uh, while we're not bound by the Old Testament dietary laws, there is a lot of wisdom in them that is still applicable for us today.
Okay, so are you following me? That there are certain passages of scripture that were specifically speaking to a people in a particular time at a particular, in a particular culture that may not apply to us today, but there is a timeless principle there that still does apply to us. So other passages that were written to people in a particular culture and historical context, for instance, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.5 says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers, uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Now, some people mistakenly teach that a woman needs to wear a head covering or hat when she comes to church. They say that that's what that verse means. But they're taking it literally as to what was being spoken to the people at Corinth. But that context doesn't apply to us today. The issue at Corinth was that Corinth was a highly occultic city with a lot of pagan temples to all the false gods that they worshipped. And in many of these temples, they practiced something called temple prostitution. And that was a part of their idolatrous worship. And the temple prostitutes shaved their head. And so Paul wants to make sure that Christian women living in Corinth would be distinguished as different from these temple prostitutes. So he not only says, don't cut your hair, he says, cover your head so it will be really obvious to everyone that you are not one of them. Now, of course, nowadays, we're not dealing with that issue, right? We, we don't have any, that I know of, any pagan temples in Pembroke Pines where people are practicing um, temple prostitution. I don't know of that being a problem for us today. So what do we do then? Do we just ignore this verse and, and say it has no meaning for us? No. We look for a timeless truth, a principle that applies to everyone everywhere. So what is the timeless truth in this verse? That as Christians, we should dress we should adorn ourselves, and we should conduct ourselves in, in a way that is so distinct from the godless people in our culture that there is a clear difference so that people can see us and say, wow, there's something different about that person. There's something different about that person. That means, you know, ladies, we shouldn't be going around all hoochie mama you know, showing everything, hallelujah, you know. We, we, we need to be careful the way that we conduct ourselves. We need to be careful about markings on our bodies, like, you know, all of those tattoos all over people and piercings all over the place where they shouldn't be. You know, we, we need to be careful about those things because the majority of the people that do those things, they are representing a very ungodly portion of our society, and as Christians, we need to be clearly identified as separate. Are you following me? So it's important to understand the original meaning of a verse or a passage so that we can then look for the timeless principle of how that applies to us today. Instead of saying, oh, women need to wear a hat today. Why do women need to wear a hat? That's not what that verse is saying. So we need to understand it in its original meaning in order to understand what its application is for us today, okay? We need to be careful not to bring our 
historical context or our circumstances into the scripture text and assume that God is speaking directly to us in some secret or mystical way. What am I saying? I read about a guy who had a doctor's appointment to get some test results for an exam that he had had. And it, it, it was a test for a potentially serious illness. And that morning, while he was praying and doing his devotions, he read from Jeremiah 46, 11. In vain, you will use many medicines, but you shall not be cured. Can you imagine? If you don't understand what the Bible says, what that could do, it could strike fear in your heart, right? And he shared that if he didn't know how to accurately interpret the Bible, that this could have been a very disturbing verse to read that morning. And it could have filled him with fear. But it wasn't some kind of mystical message that God was trying to speak to him. It, that message was actually addressed to Egypt, the enemy of God's people. And God was telling them that no matter what they tried, even something called the balm of Gilead, which was an, anointing, uh, uh, an ointment that was famous for healing in those days. Uh, and he said, even if you try the balm of Gilead, it's not going to work for you. Because he was bringing judgment upon them. And he was saying, none of that is going to fix the problem that you're going to have. All right. Uh, a, commentator, a commentator by the name of Matthew Henry says that the meaning of this passage is that the wounds God inflicts on his enemies cannot be healed by medicines or by human means. So later on, this guy that went to the doctor for his test results, he received good news from the doctor, and thankfully he didn't waste needless time worrying because he incorrectly lifted a verse out of its context and presumed that God was sending him some mystical message about the outcome of his test. Amen? Have you ever done that? Oh, well, we won't ask for that, but... Now, don't get me wrong, God can and does speak to us personally through his word. But we need to be careful that whatever he's speaking to us is in line with the original message and intent of his word. Amen? All right. We need to be careful to avoid misinterpreting the scripture. Misinterpretation, misinterpretation is often the result of preconceived ideas where we come to the scripture with our own particular thoughts, opinions, beliefs, or view, and then we start looking for scriptures to support what we already believe. This is called eisegesis. And what it means is reading into scripture a meaning that is not there. As opposed to exegesis, which is actually pulling out of scripture the meaning that God intended. Now, misinterpretation also comes from bad theology or doctrine. If we've been taught something or raised to believe something, even though it may not be correct biblically, we tend to bring that view to our reading of scripture. I once went to a conference at a large local uh, Baptist church, and they had a track rack, just like we have a track rack out here with evangelistic tracks. But in their track rack, they had a track that said, why speaking in tongues is of the devil. Why? Because Baptists do not believe that the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we read of in the book of Acts and the book of Corinthians, they, they believe that that died with the first century, that it doesn't continue today. 
So they are coming to the Bible with a preconceived idea, and then they're pulling scriptures to try to support uh, their idea. And so they, as I looked at the track, they had all sorts of verses that had been taken out of context in order to support that view. And there are people that are brought up with that teaching, and they come to the Bible with their mind already made up. And so when they read the scripture, that's what they see and understand. I remember when I was doing my pastoral internship uh, up in Central Florida, Florida, I was, one of my responsibilities was to do um, an outreach ministry to a local nursing home, and one of the ladies that was in the nursing home team was sharing her testimony with me. She was an older lady by this time, but she started telling, uh, uh, telling me her story about how she came to Christ, and her husband was vehemently opposed uh, to anything Christian, to her going to church or anything, so she said, I used to have to go up in my attic and hide to read the Bible and to pray because he would get extremely angry. And so she said, I, I just had such a hunger for Jesus and I would just hide up in the attic and I would pray and I would read the Bible. And one day she said, I just started praying and saying, Jesus, I just want more of you, Lord. I just want more of you. And she said, before you know it, I was speaking in another language. And she said, I had no idea what it was. Now, the only church background she said that she had was that as a young child, she had been brought up in the Baptist church. So she makes an appointment and goes and sees the local Baptist pastor. And she tells him her experience in the attic. And what does he say to her? That's of the devil. Don't ever do that again. And she was just crushed as she walked out of that pastor's office. But she said, I got in my car and I said, this couldn't be of the devil. This, it, th my heart is filled with love for God, and I just feel his presence. God, I'm asking you to, to explain to me what this is that I'm experiencing. So she went to the grocery store. She had some groceries she had to pick up. And as she's in the grocery store, her cart, as she turned around one of the aisles, collided with the cart of an, another woman. And so she starts talking to them, you know, the one, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean, you know, it's an accident. And they, they strike up a conversation. And she starts pouring out to this stranger in the grocery store her experience in the attic of her home and speaking in this other language. Well, it just so happened that that stranger she bumped into was the mother of the local Assembly of God pastor. So when she poured out her heart to the woman, the woman said, honey, she said, that's an experience that the Bible talks about. And the woman, the, the mother of the pastor whipped out a Bible and started showing her in the book of Acts how they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues and started explaining to her. And from that day forward, she started going to this Assembly of God church and growing in uh, her relationship with the Lord. But what I wanted to say, it, it, I wanted to share that to say this, that pastor had a pre-programmed uh, concept or belief system that excluded any form of supernatural manifestation of the spirit. So the moment she shared with him what happened, there was no openness in his mind to find a biblical answer. His mind was already closed. He, he believed that that was from the devil. So we have to be careful that we don't bring our own thoughts and opinions to the Bible, but that we allow the Bible to speak for itself. Misinterpretation is also the result of neglecting basic principles of interpretation. This is why it's so important for us to learn the basic guidelines of studying the Bible and, and, and learning to see what God means by what he said. And we're going to be looking at some of those 
practical guidelines in one of future messages, so don't miss any of the messages. But, but we need to learn how to properly interpret the Bible. Now, a second principle we see is that the benefits of investing time studying the Bible will be well worth the effort. We need to study. When you hear the word study, what do you think of? Somebody, I think, said school. We, we, we think about school or, or we think about cramming for exams. And most people don't like to study. In fact, research re recently showed that 80% of college students admit to cheating at least once. 36% of them said they plagiarized materials regularly for their assignments. And I, I was astonished to see the other day a website where there is a guy, he is actually a professor, and he's offering to write students research papers for them. You just pay him a fee, he said they'll, they'll negotiate the fee, whatever, and he'll write the paper for you. Why? Because folks don't like to study. But you know, we may be able to get around it with school or with college, but we cannot cheat on or have somebody else take our place in studying the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show yourself approved. A workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly interpreting the word of God. So if we want to live a life that is pleasing to God, if we want to be unashamed on the day that we stand before him in judgment, we need to study his word for ourselves. Some might say, well, that's just for ministers or that's for theologians. No, no. As someone said, the Bible wasn't written for scholars, it was written for sinners. Hello? It was written for all of us, and it is essential for all of us. And the word study in this passage is a command. The verb is in an imperative command. It says study. It's not a suggestion. We all need to study the Bible. And the Greek word literally means to be diligent, to labor, or to work hard. And it conveys a sense of urgency. It's a command that says, do this now. Study now. Now, my niece hates math. Even though when she applies herself to it, she can be very good at it. But she hates it. So most of her high school, I spent uh, the afternoons, two or three hours, um, trying to get her to focus on doing her algebra. And if I would walk away for a few minutes, I'd come back, I'd find her like this, or I'd find her on her phone, and I would get every excuse on, 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 under the sun. And one of the things that she would say is, I don't know why I need to know this. I'm never going to use this in real life. And that was her excuse for her disinterest in math. Well, I can assure you that that argument does not apply to studying the Bible. The Bible is not something that you can say, I'm never going to use this. I don't know why I need it. No. The, the Bible is practical. The Bible speaks to every area of our life. It speaks to our relationship with God. It speaks to managing our finances. It speaks to having healthy marriages, healthy families, healthy friendships. It, it speaks to wisdom in every area of our life. It, it reveals to us God's will uh, for our life. So it's something that's vitally essential to us. And the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is his love letter to us. It is his written instruction 
instruction manual to all of mankind. It answers every important question in life. It explains to us how to live, and it reveals to us the road of salvation, and, and, and it reveals God to us himself so that we can know him. We can't know God apart from his word. His word is his self-revelation. It's God saying, you don't have to guess who I am. This is who I am. I'm telling you, I'm showing you who I am. I read an article on the days of the gold rush in the United States, and it talked about the difficulties that the miners faced. It spoke about how hard the labor was, and uh, they had to actually dig deep mine shafts by hand with just a, a, a pickaxe, and they had to be very careful to avoid the mine caving in. And many times, miners were injured or even killed working in the mines. But they were willing to work long hours doing strenuous manual labor because their focus was on the value of the discovery that they would make if they found gold. So they labored diligently in the hope of finding gold and becoming extremely wealthy. The reward made the investment of time and energy worthwhile. And there is no easy bypass to studying God's word. It requires time. It requires diligent effort. It is hard work. But the value that you receive far exceeds the time and effort that you may invest. Paul tells us that studying to rightly interpret God's word is the only way that we can live a life that is approved of God or a life that is pleasing to God. You can't, as I said, truly know God unless you know his word because he reveals himself to us in his word. A lot of people, they have an image in their mind of who God is that is not based in his word at all. So you'll hear people say, God is a God of love. He could never send anybody to hell. Well, where did you get that idea from? Or is that just a, a, an image of God, an idol of God that you have created for yourself? Because it surely is not a complete picture of God because God is love, yes, but God is also holy and God is also just and God is also righteous. God is also awesome and we are to fear and tremble before him. Amen. So a lot of people, they have these concepts of God in their mind that um, have just come out of their own thoughts and imagination and is not based in scripture. But if we are to really have a relationship with God, if we are to really know God, then we have to know his word. You can't truly know or understand his love for you and what he desires for you and what he desires to do in your life or through your life unless you study his word because it is his revelation of his will, of his love, and of his purpose to us. You can't do his will and you can't live a life of obedience unless you know his will, and the only way to know his will is to know his word. And only as we live a life that is pleasing to God can we walk under his blessing. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. How many of you want the blessing of the Lord? Amen. Now, this verse is not speaking about monetary riches necessarily, but the blessing of God on our life enriches us. It brings contentment. It brings fulfillment. It brings happiness. It brings joy. It brings peace. A lot of things, all the things money can't buy. But when we walk according to his will, we walk under his blessing.
When we live a life that's pleasing to God, when we live a life in obedience to his word, we walk under his blessing. He protects us. It says he adds no sorrow. So he protects us from the pain and heartache of wrong choices and sinful actions that we make when we don't know his word and when we're not walking according to his word. And studying God's word enables us to stand unashamed before him on the day when he will judge us and will either reward us or we will have a complete loss of reward. So one day we're going to be judged by the word. So if we're going to be judged by the word, then if we don't want to be ashamed on that day, guess what? We need to study his word so that we will be approved before him, so that our life will be pleasing to him. So again, the reward far outweighs the investment. A story was told of a man who loved old books. And he met an acquaintance who had just thrown away a Bible, a very old Bible, that had been stored in the attic of his ancestral home for generations. The man explained, I couldn't read it. It was really old. Uh, uh, somebody, I think, named Guten something had printed it. Not Gutenberg, his friend said. Uh, that Bible was one of the very first books ever printed on a printing press. He said, why, a copy of a Gutenberg Bible just sold for over $2 million. His friend was unimpressed. He said, mine wouldn't have brought a dollar. Some fellow named Martin Luther had scribbled all over it in German. Well, who was Martin Luther? He was a great Christian church leader, the father of the Protestant movement. And he, it was his Bible, and he had written in it. The man discarded a Bible that was worth multiplied millions of dollars because he didn't understand or realize its value. Well, you know what? The contents of the Bible are of far greater value than any amount of money to our lives. Studying the Bible enables us to know God. It enables us to know all that he has planned for our lives. It enables us to know all that he has promised us. It enables us to live a life that is pleasing to him. It enables us to live a life that he can bless. And it enables us to one day stand before him unashamed on that great day when we shall be judged by him. Amen. So in response to the command of the word, to study, to show ourselves approved, a workman rightly dividing or interpreting the word of God, needing not to be ashamed. Would you make a commitment to the Lord to be diligent in your study of God's word so that we can live the life that he's calling us to live? You see, the word is not just for hearing, but it's for responding to it and obeying it. The Bible says we should not be hearers of the word only, but doers. So we've heard the word tonight. Will we do it? Will we put it into practice? And if you will, would you just bow your heads and take a moment? Would you respond to the calling of God tonight to diligently study his word by saying, Lord, I make a commitment to you to diligently study your word so that I can learn of you, so I can learn of your ways, so I can learn the life that you want me to live, so that I can stand before you unashamed. Take a moment and talk to God for yourself as I pray over us. 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for your word because your word is able to make us wise unto salvation. It is able to teach us the way to life in you. And Lord, as we have heard the call of your word tonight to be diligent students of the Bible, Father, may our heart respond and say, Lord, I will diligently apply myself to studying your word so that my life can be approved of you, my life can be pleasing to you, and so that one day when I stand before you, I will not need to be ashamed. And Father, when this service is over, may the commitment that we make outlive this service as your Holy Spirit and your word reminds us and calls us to open this blessed book and learn of you and what you want to speak into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Don't forget to come on Sunday. We're starting a new series titled Let Us. It's based on the scriptures that talk about let us come boldly to the throne or let us draw near to God. It's about the privileges that have been given to us through the sacrifice of Christ. So you don't want to miss it. Come out on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your evening and your week. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry, you can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.